I invite your attention to the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. And remind you, um, it is Father's Day, I recognize that, but we made a deal a month ago. Do you recall that I did my Father's Day sermon back in May? So this is not Father's Day sermon. That was the deal, I hope you remember. Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. Let me read you just three verses out of Galatians 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, oh, that endures forever. Hey guys, we are doing a four-part series, a a brief four-part series on Galatians 5. It is the sermons um, that you you may recall. I said this, but it's the sermons that your teenagers heard in Gulf Shores, and uh, and I every summer come back and preach those here that I preach down there. That's what these are. We've already done one. That was two weeks ago. And the, the goal of that sermon two weeks ago was, or at least I think the goal of Paul in the first six verses of Galatian, was to show you that there are basically two options. And the two options are freedom and slavery. Now, which is which is, is up to you to decide. But Paul insists that, that a gospel of free grace, uh, a salvation that is accomplished by the finished work of Jesus Christ, Paul is convinced that that, that's freedom. In contrast to that, in verses 2 through 6 of Galatians 5, he he seeks to correct a group who was adding things, tampering with the gospel, adding um, performance, works, law, obedience, and specifically, the one that they were seeking to add was circumcision. And he points out that if you add anything to the gospel, you ruin the whole thing. And not only that, if you are determined to save yourself by your own performance, then the standard is perfection. That you've got to keep the whole law if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna reject the free offer of the gospel and you're gonna try to save yourself, by your own performance, then, then the whole thing, the whole law, has um, has got to be obeyed. Now that religion, that self salvation project, Paul calls slavery. Now, guys, um, you may disagree with Paul. Your culture certainly does disagree with Paul. Your culture is convinced that the only way to have freedom is to have a life with no restraints. And not only that, that they have a religion, a religion that is um, based solely and only on my own performance, my own human accomplishment, um, what I and I alone have accomplished. It's kind of the religion of the rich young ruler. Do you remember that story? It's, um, it's found a couple places in the New Testament. One of the places is Matthew 19. It's the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus, and he actually says this. 
He actually asked Jesus, he says this, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Ladies and gentlemen, that's the religion of your culture. What good thing must I do to inherit, inherit eternal life? Because I rely on no one or no thing other than myself. And Paul calls that slavery. The slavery of, of wondering. Have I ever done enough? Have I done enough to... To satisfy God so that he will uh, approve of me. So, in those opening six verses of Galatians 5, in this corner, you have Christ and his finished work and freedom. In the other corner, you have law and works and bondage. There's only two options, guys. Every person in this room, every person in this room, is either trusting in Christ and Christ only, his finished work, or you are trying to save yourself through some kind of human effort. Those are the only two options. And every one of you in this room are doing one of two, one of the, one of those two things. Either you're trusting in Christ and him only, or you're trying to accomplish enough that God will be pleased with you. The gospel tells us, folks, to give up all of that foolishness, to give up all of those efforts at saving ourselves, and to trust solely and completely in the finished work of Christ. And from that moment forward, I am free. I am free from the backbreaking tyranny of trying to save myself by keeping the law. Now, guys, all of that is a summary of, of two weeks ago. We come now to verses 13 through 15 as Paul develops his argument. And uh, for the moment, it seems that Paul assumes that you've got that settled. That everything that about the slavery freedom, you've got that settled. Because if you'll notice in verse 13, he speaks with brothers. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. You see that? From At least from there, at least in this, these three verses, he's addressing brothers. He's addressing Christians, okay? He probably is in the first 12 verses too, but, but at least for here you can see that he's addressing Christians. And, I, and I'd like, in, in, to follow Paul's model, I'd like to address Christians, assuming that all that's been settled as to what you're going to trust in to save you, assuming for a moment that you've, that you've settled that, uh, he turns to talk to Christians, and I want to turn and talk to Christians. Okay? So now I'm free. And I am free to do anything I want to do. Whoa. Whoa. Paul anticipated that response. And um, because he did, he writes... Verse 13, for you were called to freedom. Yes, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Okay, if I'm not supposed to use my freedom as an opportunity to the flesh, 
how then am I supposed to use my freedom? Well, that, ladies and gentlemen, is what we're going to try to answer with this morning's sermon. But, but I do want you to understand this. Every time Paul mentions freedom, every time he, he brings up this subject, he always includes a warning. Like you find in verse 13, because the nature of human sin is to abuse freedom. We drift towards lawlessness. Left to ourselves, we drift towards lawlessness. Freedom is a, is a precious gift, but it's also an immense responsibility. You know, I, I liken it to the, uh, the day your 16 year old got their driver's license. You remember that day? You remember your day? Do you remember the day that you got your own? I mean, that, that day when you were 16 and you finally got your driver's license? You remember that? Uh huh. I do. I remember when, when my eldest got her driver's license. Remember when she drove off? Remember that day? I mean, <laughs> there you are standing in the, the, uh, the driveway and, and your little 16-year-oldler is, is backing out of the driveway and, and they got the, the, uh, the radio cranked up and, and uh, they're driving out and they're thinking, freedom. And you're standing in the driveway and you're thinking, safety, uh, car insurance, speeding tickets, car accidents. You know, as a biker... The thing that I fear is these 16-year-olds with their brand new license while they're driving and texting. You know, funny story. Um, when I was with your, your high schoolers in Gulf Shores, I said that same thing. I said, uh, you know, I'm a biker and, and, um, and I fear these 16-year-olds who've got their, this new freedom, you know, and there they go down the road uh, texting. And uh, so after I got finished, Will Savell took me aside and he said, <clears throat> Dr. Young, you don't text like this. <laughs> you text like this. <laughs> what can I tell you? I'm a relic. Um, <laughs> so now I don't ever do this anymore. I mean, you text with the thumbs. I got it, guys. But uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, my fear is to see some 16-year-old, you know, while I'm in the bike lane. Because freedom is, I mean, it's a great, precious gift, but it's an immense responsibility, guys. So, what sort of freedom is Christian freedom? I hope you listen this morning, guys. Let me ask it another way. Is obedience to God's law required? Well, required for what? Is obedience to God's law required to save me? No. But is obedience to God's law required for the Christian who seeks to give God pleasure, honor Christ, advance the kingdom, just having a life that works? Yes. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Does obedience function as a proof of newness of life? Yes, it does. And so once again, as I told you two weeks ago, here we are back face to face with this conundrum 
of, of the, the relationship between law and gospel. And, and over the centuries of the history of the Christian church, guys, there has been such confusion about that issue that two major areas, two major errors have developed. One known as legalism, the other known as antinomianism. Legalism says, I'll tell you how you use your freedom. <laughs> I've got the code right here for you. And antinomianism says, I'll tell you how to use your freedom. Do anything you please. Both of those are errors, ladies and gentlemen. Huge errors. We're going to look at them both, but let me say this. In the South, the error that's most frequently committed among religious folk is the error of legalism. Guys, uh, legalism is a broad term. I guess it can be used in a lot of ways, but um, it, it basically is an approach that sees good deeds as a way to make God love me more. Let's face it. You, some of you, I said this to your teenagers, some of them, uh, they think they're better Christians because they had not had sex yet. Well, maybe. You know, I, I certainly uh, don't want to... Um, Minimize the gravity of you toying with sex outside of marriage. Whether it's your teenagers or you. But what I would like to damn is the idea that human behavior somehow earns me something before God. Guys, obedience is always better. No one None of us get away with our sin. Nobody, not the preacher, not the elder, not the layman, none of us get away with our sin. There are always consequences. But one of those consequences is not that I get lumped in with all the bad Christians and get booted out of the kingdom. While, while all the virgins are, are the good Christians. While the virgins are mean, and judgmental, and harsh, and unkind, and gossips. Guys, that's a great statement that Jesus makes in Matthew 7. Yeah, you just have to trust me, but you can look it up later. It's Matthew 7, 11. Jesus says this. Um, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly Father will give gifts to those who ask him. Uh, let me go over that slower. Because here's what he says. If you then, he's speaking to his disciples... If you then, being evil, it's an assumption, ladies and gentlemen. It's a, it's a, it's an obvious assumption that you, we, if you then, being evil, ladies and gentlemen, there is no such category as the good Christians and the bad Christians. That category doesn't exist. But in legalism, ladies and gentlemen, that kind of divide, division is made as long as we keep the code. If you keep the code, you're a good Christian. If you don't keep the code, you're a bad Christian. I, I do have a text that I would love for you to see if you can find it real quick. It's in Luke 11. I threatened um, to write a book about this text. 
But I started writing the book, and the book was so awful, I gave up the project. But it's uh, it, Luke chapter eleven, verse forty-two. I, in fact, I was gonna I was gonna entitle my book "The Society of Mint and Rue." I'll show it to you. Luke eleven forty-two. Jesus says, "But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue. Rue is just a it's just an herb. You tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God." Do you see what he says to these Pharisees? He says. Um, you guys, here's what you do. Somebody gave you a stalk of mint and it had 20 leaves on it. And so you very punctiliously took off two of those leaves and gave it to God. You tithed your mint. You tithed your rue. But you ignore the weightier matters of the law. Things like mm, justice and the love of God. Now, let's put that in the, in the kind of language that I'm using this morning. You're virgins. Good. You should be. But you neglect the weightier matters of the law, like compassion and justice. You have a vicious tongue. You are judgmental. You are unkind. You tend to look at your sins through a microscope and everybody else is through a magnifying glass. The Bible has a word for that, ladies and gentlemen. It's called... Hypocrisy. You're a phony. You congratulate yourself on performing well in one area and becoming very proud of your performance all the while feeling smug while you lash people with that tongue of yours. You've got your own system of definitions as to what God demands. And it usually has been given to you by your church. Here's what the Christians do. You know, I, I teach a grace group. Everybody on staff has a grace group, and I've got one. I love my grace group. And, and in my grace group, uh, there are two young mothers. And these two young women were raised in the same evangelical church here in this area. Uh, as teenagers, they, they were in the same youth department. And so they've gone on to graduate from college and get a husband and they have children now and they're in my, my grace group. And so on one of our grace group meetings, um, one of the, these young mothers told the story, which was confirmed by the other mother in who they were raised together. This other mother, you, you get it. And uh, this one mother is telling this story and here was the story. That in her youth group, they had five rules. Five rules. Rule number one, no sex. Rule number two, read your Bible. Have your quiet time. Rules number three, four, and five were no sex, no sex, no sex. Ladies and gentlemen, all formula that require us to do things in order to add to what Jesus Christ has already given us. They stem from legalism. And they're an insult to the finished work of Christ. And so instead of dealing with the deep issues of human idolatry that are ever the plague of the human heart, 
We become focused on on single sins. And as long as I don't do that, I'm okay. I'm one of them good Christians. And we lose a sense of gratitude. And we become trapped by our own pride in keeping a moral code that we ourselves developed. We change the privilege of being sons and free into the experience of being a slave. The Christian life is reduced to a code. And Jesus Christ is missed. It's legalism, ladies and gentlemen, and it stinks. It's vile. It sucks the very life out of the Christian soul. The other option is antinomianism. That may be a new word for some of you. It's, 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 um, it's a word that simply means anti-law or no law. Uh, it denies or antinomianism denies the need of obedience and the role and importance of the law. Obedience, according to the antinomian, is irrelevant to the soul's health. And, and, and any, anyone, according to an uh, antinomian, saying that you must obey is an assault on the gospel of grace. Uh, freedom from the law as a way of salvation is assumed by the antinomian to bring a freedom from the law as a guide to conduct. Christians may freely embrace sin as a way of life. So long as they continue to trust Christ for their salvation. In its most virulent form, its most indirect, it was said by a youth director in my experience. He said, he told his youth group, if you accept Jesus as your savior, you can kiss God goodbye and still be saved. Guys, um, Refuting that is is not as easy as you may think. But I want to suggest to you that the best refutation really comes from a couple of statements. Well, I'll give you three. The statements that Jesus made. Two of them in John 14, Jesus, in John 14, Jesus says in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Um, In verse 21, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them. He it is that loves me. In 1 John chapter 5 verse 3. For this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Does any of that sound like. Christians can. Toy with sin. Does any of that sound. Like to you that obedience is unimportant. Why do you think Paul wrote that statement in Galatians 5.13? To not use your freedom as an occasion for the flesh. Guys, Christian freedom is not my right to sin. I'm free from sin. I'm not free to sin. True freedom is not... It's not a permission to do what I want to do. 
True freedom is the spirit-imparted ability and desire to do the things that I ought to do. So then, if you've damned legalism, Dr. Young, and you've damned antinomianism, then what? Then you still haven't answered the question, how is it that I do use my freedom? And um, that's an extreme, and we don't want to do that, and that's an extreme, we don't want to do that. And here's the tendency among the Christian church, ladies and gentlemen. The tendency is, okay, we got an extreme here, we got an extreme here, how about this? Well, we'll just take a little of this, and we'll just take a little of that, and we'll just kind of make a merge in the middle and get a moderate position, and that's what we need to do. No, ladies and gentlemen, no. That's flesh, and that's flesh. And if you combine flesh with flesh, you get flesh. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there's an altogether different third option. And here it is. And you inscribe this on the tablets of your heart. The standard for Christian living is this. Emulating Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit. Emulation of Christ. Be like Christ. In the power of the Spirit. I'll tell you a story and I'm done. Um, my oldest daughter, when she was in the 11th grade, she fancied herself a little singer. And um, so she got in a little group. It's called Hedges, Star, and Young. You notice that the young was on the end. That's because she had the least talent of the three. Um, uh, but there was Posey Hedges. Posey Hedges is a guy who was written up in the commercial appeal of uh, uh, several months ago. Good guy, talented guy, a, a guitarist, and he still gigs around town a, a lot. Uh, good fella. Uh, Star, Garrison Star. Garrison Star was uh, a girl that's still trying to make it in the music industry even today. She had one hit, uh, Million Dollar Baby or something like that. that. That wasn't it, but it was years ago when she had it, and uh, she's... Struggling to make it in the music industry, but a talented person. And then there's Gracie. Gracie, um, who, who her big hit was, um, I mean, <laughs> no, not her hit. The song that she sang when they gigged was um, Bobby McGee by Janis Joplin. Remember that? Um, Janis Joplin, that gravelly little voice. Uh, well, Gracie had kind of a gravelly little voice, and, and she sang Bobby McGee. Kind of a... Sweet little love song kind of thing, and uh, but when it, it was it was fun. But anyway, um, the the singing group got a gig, and they got a gig every Wednesday night, and their gig was at Newbies on Highland. You ever been there? You ever seen Newbies on Highland? You ever, you ever been? There? It's a bar. It's it's right off the University of Memphis campus. It's a bar right there in Highland. Newbies it's still there. You can go by. And um, Susie and I did. In fact, um, every Wednesday night, she was gigging at, um, at uh, the newbies. And so I would come to church, teach the Bible. Why do you laugh at that? <laughs> I, I, would, I would teach, and then Susie and I would jump in the car, and we'd head to newbies. <laughs> to watch our daughter sing. I really got a lot of flack for that. 
I never told my daughter to quit that. She ultimately did quit it. She said to me, she said, Daddy, I'm just a beer salesman. I'm, you know, I don't need to do this. So she quit. But I can tell you what I told her. I didn't tell her every time, but I told her a lot. Every time before she, maybe not on Wednesdays, but they heard this a lot. I said to my daughter, loyalty to Christ. You just go be loyal to Christ. And we'll be fine. I could have said, now darling, you know that your dad is a preacher. And my reputation's at stake here. And so I want you to go out and I've got a code that I want you to follow while you're out there. Or we could say, do whatever you like. And both are using freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But it's loyalty to Christ, ladies and gentlemen. Emulating Christ in the power of the Spirit. That is how we use the freedom that is now ours in Christ. Go do that. Emulate Christ in the power of the Spirit. And we'll be fine. Our Father, I do pray that you would set your people free from foolishness, from the foolishness of thinking that they can make you love them better if they just perform well. Forgive us, O God, that our whole sense of value, our whole sense of worth is established by how well we perform. And it is sucking the life out of us. So would you, would you enable us to see something beautiful, something different, something liberating, all wrapped up in Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's like, and the, the great enablement provided by the Holy Spirit of God. Might we address the idolatry of the human heart, which is our real problem? Would you enable us by the power of the Spirit to have a heart that is becoming more and more given over to the one that we consider to be altogether lovely, Jesus Christ. Father, if you brought people here this morning who have not yet met Jesus Christ, are still outside the household of faith, thinking that they can somehow save themselves by their performance, would you show them that they are slaves? And would you cause them to see the great beauty that is ours in Christ? Freedom. Freedom, forgiveness, knowing that Jesus Christ is the only one who can prepare us to stand in your presence. We, uh, we make our prayer, of course, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.